0: I love the scenes with the characters hanging out together. Uh, there is sort of an extended stretch in the midsection of the movie that's very quiet, very low-key for a movie like this, and I really dug it. Uh, some of the best stuff in the movie.
1: Low-key or low-key? <laughs> I see what you mean. <laughs> both, <laughs> yes. Of course. Dodge this.
0: I am the father.
2: Oh. I'm here on a
0: mission of mercy.
1: You <laughs> There's only one God, man, and I'm pretty sure he doesn't dress like that. Let's put a smile on that face. I want the truth! You can't handle the truth! Open the pod bay doors, huh? I'm sorry, Dave. I'm afraid I can't do that. This is episode 136 of the Movie Bite Podcast, a show where we talk about movies, movie reviews, movie news trailers, and much, much more. Today is Tuesday, May the 5th, and today the Movie Bite Avengers are assembling, fresh off of a lethal dose of gamma radiation. It is Joe Darnell. How are you, Joe? Hey, TJ. Good evening. I'm doing good. And coming to us from his mechanical suit of iron, it is Clark Douglas. How are you, Clark?
0: I am doing splendid, TJ. Thank you for having me back.
1: It is good to have you back. I'm sure that your suit of armor. We, we may call mm-hmm. on Veronica at some point to to help mm-hmm. us out of a tense situation with Mister Gamma Radiation over there. But I'm hey, sure it TJ, it'll do all you have out. your bow and arrows? My bow. Oh, am I Hawkeye? Mm. <laughs> there could be worse things. I like Hawkeye. Not, Not many, many worse things, things, but oh, come now! I like Hawkeye. I'm kidding. All right, all right. I'm kidding. We'll get to that. We'll get to that. <laughs> How's it going, guys?
2: Excellent. I have been thinking to myself, you know, there's a lot to discuss here. I don't know if we could get through it in in 90 minutes, but hopefully. This will be one of the longer ones, I'm sure. This is going to be one of the long ones not I like wouldn't. last week's or mm. the week before that
1: mm-hmm. well last week's is okay I, but it's fine I mean there's a lot sure. here to discuss the, the, the interesting thing is going to be my, my notes feel like a jumbled mess like I don't have likes and dislikes I have things that I want to talk about yeah <laughs> so. I, that's
2: kind of how I feel I wrote many paragraphs when I had to create a simple <laughs> bullet uh, you know list of you know the, here's what I want to say and it's like uh, I got the expanded edition version yeah. of my bullet list
1: yeah it's good well I mean we have a few things to talk about though before we get to that and uh the first thing on our list here is just announced earlier today. Mm. Uh this mm-hmm. article was actually posted on Hypable at 2:06 p.m. Uh, earlier today as we record this. Martin Freeman joins Captain America Civil War. Um Sherlock and the Hobbit star Martin Freeman is joining joining the Marvel Cinematic Universe. Marvel.com announced Tuesday afternoon that the beloved actor will be joining the third film in the Captain America series in which Cap and Iron Man will square off over the future of their superhero business um unfortunately marvel and feige declined to share who freeman will be playing of course so let the speculation Uh begin Uh, guys is this (laughs) (laughs) spider-man
0: that was my natural assumption what do you think clark i predict he'll be some sort of government official or bureaucrat
1: i
2: was thinking a doctor a surgeon maybe working on somebody's body (laughs) giving captain america a tune-up
1: well, guys, I haven't figured it out. I mean, what if all of this is a prequel to Sherlock? Watson is an Avenger, and Sherlock mm. is one of the enhanced people.
2: Mm. Well, we already know <laughs> that Sherlock is Tony Stark, so that, that, that's a great crossover <laughs> a, right there. It's a good
1: point. It's a good point. There's gonna, they're going to fight over who the better Sherlock is uh, at some point. Uh, Watson will be defending... Uh, Benedict Cumberbatch is Sherlock Holmes, and uh, Robert Downey Jr. will be defending his own Sherlock Holmes. I'm, I'm sure that's the way that's going to be. Well, and we already have Benedict Cumberbatch coming in this universe at some point. Right, as hmm. uh, Doctor Strange. Yes, yes. So uh, interesting oh, news. so he's a sidekick. Yeah. <laughs> uh, I don't know. It, it's interesting news for sure. I mean, and and the good thing is I have yet to see Martin Freeman play in a role in which I did not enjoy him thoroughly. Um, I'm, I'm trying to think of one. I can't think of one. I know I haven't seen everything he's been in. But even if I didn't enjoy the films so much, <coughs> Hobbit, <coughs> um, I enjoyed him acting in them. So um, – and I know, Clark, you're a great defender of the Hobbit trilogy, so you, you, uh, you, you may defend, I suppose.
0: <laughs> well, no, I mean, but uh, like you say, I think most people agree that uh, regardless of whether or not you like those movies – and there's reason not to. Uh, Martin Freeman is certainly a highlight of them.
1: Yeah, I would agree. So, uh, so Joe, you're, you're going on record as saying that uh, he's going to play a doctor or some sort, and Clark, you're going with bureaucrat. Absolutely. Yes. And I'm going to go on record as Spider-Man so, <laughs> so that I can be completely and totally wrong.
0: That, that would make me really happy, honestly. <laughs> <laughs> but it would. It I would, would love it if Martin Freeman were Spider Man. It would
1: be an interesting twist. I mean, because we're all going. Well, Spider Man's always been young, and it's like, well, no, guys. What mm-hmm. if? What if this is an old Spider Man? What if he's been Spider Man for a while? They're doing the DC thing, like DC's doing with Batman. Right.
0: And he's tired, and he's like, you know what? It's three o'clock. I've been Spider Manning for five hours now. I need to call it a day. <laughs> <I> Got to rest.
1: <laughs> yeah. 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 Uh, well, okay. So we'll, uh, we'll see how that goes. Uh, I wish there was more to talk about, but they just haven't given us any information other than, guys, this guy that you love, he's going to be in Captain America, <laughs> the Civil, Civil War. So
0: That's a Marvel News announcement for you.
1: I, uh, yeah. I'm, I'm still not convinced I love this concept of the Civil War thing, um, and I've gone back and forth on it, and I can't remember what position I've mm. taken on the podcast really? before. Well, and, and watching – as we'll get to watching Avengers Age of Ultron kind of underscored it for me. Um, Only your
2: current opinion matters, I, I, TJ. I don't.
1: I I don't love it when our heroes are fighting amongst each other. I don't love it, and I I, I just wish that, that they could all be friends. You know, let's just let's just kiss and make up and and move on with our lives. Hmm. So I I don't know. We'll we'll see. And it, it feels well. All right, all right. We're getting maybe into they it.
0: can follow it up by making the fourth Captain America movie like a two-hour version of the scene at the shawarma <laughs> restaurant, and they're all just kind of <laughs> hanging out. Speaking well, I of which,
1: that. Aven- yeah, No. Well, of I mean, which, that I was, would be
2: fun. I was really disappointed about, you know what, guys, (laughs) we'll get to that later.
1: (laughs) You were, you were missing a certain end scene. Yeah. Something. Yeah. yeah. They Just something. Apparently uh, you can't top shawarma. (laughs) Apparently not. Apparently not. Well, uh, speaking of the Marvel universe, do you guys want to tell us about, uh, the Spider-Man movie news? Uh, Clark, that Clark, that would be you. You're the one that brought this up. So why don't you tell us about the Spider-Man movie news?
0: Yeah, uh, Sony is looking to reboot the Spider-Man franchise, of course, for Again. the third time this century. And uh, they're looking at a variety of directors to helm this thing. And the interesting thing, there aren't any uh, action directors on the list. These are all guys who have directed comedies, comedy dramas. Um, you've got Jonathan Levine, who made Fifty Fifty, 50 Ted Melfi, who made St. Vincent. Jason Moore, the director of Pitch Perfect, John Francis Daly, and Jonathan M. Goldstein, they're the writer-directors of the upcoming version of the remake of Vacation. (laughs) And then most most intriguingly and oddly is uh, Jared Hess, the director of Napoleon Dynamite.
1: That one struck me as odd. It it is
0: odd, (laughs) and um, it... I'd have a hard time believing he would actually get that job, but if he did, I would be <laughs> very curious about what Marvel was planning on doing with Spider-Man.
1: <laughs> so you, you uh Clark, your your movie knowledge is spans all of the universe and time. You're like the walking Wikipedia of movies. Uh what what has has Jared Hess done anything other than um uh, is it,
0: uh, Nacho Libre? <laughs> no,
1: not, yeah, Nacho Libre, okay. he
0: did. Napoleon. And uh he he did another film. Uh, which I can't recall the title of after Nacho Libre.
1: I'm but, I'm trying um, to get to him on Twitter. I, I mean, he made IMDb his millions
0: there.
2: and retired young.
1: All right, so <laughs> um, oh, that's writer. I got to get to director here. <clears throat> so Napoleon Dynamite, Nacho Libre guy. came two years later. Uh, Gentlemen Broncos came in 2009, and Don Ver, Don Verdián this year, and Masterminds is in post production. So.
0: Yes, Don Verdeen has not come out yet. That's a um, a movie starring Sam Rockwell as a biblical archaeologist.
1: Oh, interesting, interesting. Uh yeah. Sam Rockwell. a biblical archaeologist. That's okay. <laughs> I'm having a hard yeah, time that's seeing all I him. <laughs> that's, I'm having a hard time seeing him in that role. Uh-huh. Uh huh. We'll see. All right, uh, John Francis Daly. I didn't know he directed things. That's interesting. Um I'm I'm only really familiar with his work on Bones which I quit watching in utter despair and agony it's at some point just finally gave up and I don't give up on shows so it was a new new thing for me Uh so most I'm, of
0: the movies these guys have made though tend to be kind of lightweight uh, comedies with just a little bit of a hint of drama and I guess that's maybe the tone they're thinking about for the new Spider-Man movie kind of a lighter funnier gentler little movie uh, yeah. from the looks of the people they're looking at.
1: Ma- and maybe that'll work for them maybe that'll work for them and because when i think of john francis Daly, i do think of his kind of zany funny uh almost sometimes slapstick character from bones and and you know he said you said he was a co-director on vacation is is that correct uh, yes the, the upcoming remake. vacation yeah that's it so, so, yeah. it hadn't even come out yet uh so that, that that certainly if if he's on this list, that certainly seems to be the tone they're going for. What what do you think about all this, Joe?
2: Right. Oh, I'm sorry, I was I was reading about <laughs> Thor. I have no opinion about the matter. I mean, uh, I I feel like, you know, this is just rumor stages. So as far as they want to tell me, they could say that they got the guy who directed the latest Cinderella movie for all I care, you know, whatever. When it becomes official, I'll care.
1: Okay, all right. So now we have some news about uh, a Kingsman sequel. This is the—I think this may be the only non-Marvel news we have in the show outline today. Um, I, it, it is really hard to find non-Marvel news right now, unless you really, really dig. Um, just because I guess the Avengers. So, so um, Kingsman: The Secret Service uh, is the sequel is coming together at Fox. Um, and uh, this is, this is good news to me. Uh, here's, here's the article real quick. Um, this is by Russ Fisher over at slash film. It was bound to happen. And now there's some news. A Kingsman sequel is in the works at Fox, given that the Matthew Vaughn adaptation of Mark, of the Mark of Mark Miller and Dave Gibbons, a secret service comic series was a surprise hit both at home and even more so internationally to the tune of 400 million overall haul as of the close of this past weekend, a sequel makes sense. So the rap reports, uh, but it doesn't have creative details. Vaughn has mm-hmm. been in talks to direct Flash Gordon uh, for Fox, but we don't know the order of these projects. So, um, so there's a couple of things in the air, but uh, the the Kingsman uh, sequel is certainly coming together, and that is that is good news to me. Uh, I was I was very impressed with that film. Very glad that it uh, it had a different kind of a spin on, kind of almost like a fresh take. I know we talked about this film before, but mm-hmm. uh, I, I was I'm very happy to hear that there's a good
2: a, mashup of the old and new.
1: Yeah, yeah, absolutely. And Clark, I, I don't know if I've ever heard your opinion on Kingsman, the Secret Service. Are you, oh, I thought it was
0: a lot of fun. Yeah, yeah. I, I had a great time with it. Um, yeah, it was it was a very uh, sort of irreverent take on the James Bond franchise. Mm-hmm. And, uh, yeah, I enjoyed
1: it. So are you excited for a sequel?
0: Sure, though. Uh, <laughs> honestly, uh, without wanting to spoil the movie, it's not the sort of film that sort of naturally seems to be setting up a uh, a sequel. One of the things I liked about the first Kingsman is that it didn't seem to be saving anything for anything.
1: Hmm. No, but I think that that actually can make things better. I mean – It can,
0: yeah, and more movies should do that. Absolutely. But it, it surprises me a little.
1: Uh, it, it's it's sort of like – and this is not the same at all because you know Marvel's saving stuff up for the next film and the next film. But it did feel a little with Captain America the Winter Soldier like they just blew up the world, and who cares? We'll figure out what to do later. I know it wasn't really like that, but I'm just saying I, I like that sort of feel. Like I and, and, and that's certainly the feel I got from Kingsman. It, it, they didn't care about a sequel. They It wasn't even in mind, and right. the only reason there's going to be a sequel is because people loved it. And I think there's something good there. Now, a sequel will be interesting because one of the things that made Kingsman so great will not be in the next movie, at least as far as I can tell. uh, I heard,
0: heard a rumor that that person would be. In the movie, uh, which How? I don't know if they're going to do flashbacks or, hey, it's a twin or what right. is this artificial well,
2: intelligence.
0: I,
1: I, yeah. I had to wonder. It was so shocking. Okay, this is, we're, we're talking spoilers for Kingsman. I think, you know, we, the movie's sure. been out for several weeks or months or whatever it's been. So, you know, deal with it, people. But so it was shocking enough to me when he died, when he was killed, that I thought. He's going to be alive somehow, some way. There's some trick that's being played, and it, it wound up not to be, but I, su- there's, I suppose there's nothing in the sequel that says that he can't have still pulled the wool over people's eyes. I, I, I'm I sure know. he can come
2: back as a blue ghost.
1: I, I don't know if I'd like that, but I'm just saying I'm, – I'm just trying to think of what the studio or what a director would, would would do with that because he was one of the critical elements that made that film so good.
0: Well, here's a quote from director Matthew Vaughn that I just found. Um, he says, a lot of people are very upset that Colin might not be in the sequel, but I'm coming up with ideas at the moment. If people buy tickets in America, I've got a feeling we'll figure out a way for having Colin back. <laughs> so the, the short version is, look, if you pay enough money, nobody ever does. Anything can
1: happen. <laughs> well, I mean, you know, Agent Coulson, spoiler alert, Agent Coulson's <laughs> not dead, so there you go. Well, and honestly— what? what, what? That's
0: one of the things that bothers me most about the Marvel movies is they've killed like a dozen characters at this point and uh, pretty much all of them have returned from the dead.
1: Well, who besides Coulson, who, who are you speaking of, though? Uh, Thor I'm died.
0: Oh, <laughs> well, sure. Thor died. Loki died. Pepper Potts died.
1: When uh, When did either, any of these characters die? I mean, no, Lo- Loki. They, yeah. Only in the they movies, that they
2: Just were.
0: Just in dead. the movies you reviewed. Um uh Nick Fury died.
1: That I'll give you. Yes, that's true. Uh,
0: and I know there there are a few more, but um Okay. Yeah, people, all right. people died. Couldn't we technically
2: and, say uh, that uh what's his name, Captain America died when he was going through his uh cocoon like stage?
0: Sure, but that's not quite what I'm thinking. Yeah, no, it's different. Okay, yeah. it was a science experiment. Odin
1: died. Uh but, he was in Odin sleep.
2: It was Sleeping Beauty. We
1: we Now, we don't know where Odin is right now, I have to say. We've not dealt with that yet.
2: Oh, um, what's Wait. his name? Uh, Star-Lord. He almost died.
1: Well, I mean, by all scientific reasons, he should have died. <laughs> he was like in, in exposed <laughs> vacuum space for like four minutes, but, you know, no biggie. No big. It's yeah, okay. Know, it's perfectly all right.
2: All he needed was some fresh air. Yeah, yeah, yeah.
1: Just, just a little fresh air. Well, that that one that one thing, the Kingsman thing, that's the only non Marvel news that we have, um, and the rest of this is actually related to the Avengers. I, I'll tell you, I was putting together the show outline uh, just to figure out kind of a general things of what we would talk about, <laughs> and I'm scrolling through some slash film and uh, hypeable and some different sites. I'm like, okay, Marvel, Marvel, Avengers, Marvel, Avengers, Avengers, Marvel, 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 Avengers, Kingsman, ooh, Kingsman, Marvel, 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 Avengers, Marvel, <laughs> Avengers. Blah, 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 blah. It's like, ooh. This, they've like taken over. Well, oh. Pretty much,
2: except for the uh, Furious 7,
0: I guess. Maybe. Yeah,
1: I haven't seen much about that, though.
0: I'm yeah. like two minutes late on this, but uh, Groot
1: died. Oh, right. You're right. Yes, that's true. Oh, yeah. But yeah. he's not really dead either. I, well, I know that's yeah, that's the point. <laughs> I'm proving your point. All right. <laughs> All right. Well, let's let's uh, let's dive in on some of the uh, things going on here. This is going to be related, basically, to our review before we actually get to our review. Um, and so the uh, the theaters are fighting with Disney over Avengers: Age of Ultron. And uh, the Avengers Age of Ultron is littered with big epic fight scenes, but some of the biggest battles involving the all-star superheroes are taking place off screen. Theater owners are reportedly furious about the new conditions being imposed by Disney on cinemas, showing the new Marvel feature. If the studio has its way, the theaters complain. The ticket prices could go up for all moviegoers. The gist of this is that um, uh, Disney is trying to set the ticket prices at a, a uh, a minimum wage for tickets, if you will. Um, And they're they're basically dictating if you want to carry our movie, you have to charge at least this much for tickets. Uh, I think I've I've got the gist of that right. And the the National Association of Theater Owners are complaining that the national average ticket price as a minimum standard raises prices for audiences in lower-income or lower-priced areas. Uh, It argued such a move would begin a cycle of price increases that may constitute illegal vertical price-fixing under state and federal antitrust laws, blah, blah, blah. So – uh, the the biggest thing here to me is that uh, Disney is using its position of power for a little bit of evil. You might say I, I'm not a big fan of of, of the, the whole price fixing thing. Uh, do you guys have an opinion on this?
2: I think the corporations are just going to be money grabbers, but uh, especially ones like these massive conglomerates. They're essentially monopolies, and Disney likes to milk their cash cows. Hey, they got a lot of creative people over there, and they're doing a world of good with giving us movies like. These Avengers films, but then there are other people in their offices that are just, you know, basically swimming in piles of money of, uh, you know, like uh, Scrooge McDuck. And they just want to <laughs> add a few more pieces of gold because they they can never, never have enough.
1: Speaking of Disney, Scrooge McDuck, and I see what you did there. Yeah. What were you going to say, Clark?
0: I was going to say, I've heard stories of uh, various theaters, you know, having to raise prices specifically for the Avengers uh, because of the current financial arrangement and that to me is a fairly unacceptable thing to charge more for a movie um than you would for anything else if thankfully my theater didn't do that but if i were to encounter a theater that did i'd have to say i I wouldn't i wouldn't do it just on principle Mm. Um, but
1: but but, i guess the question would be it's not the theater's choice necessarily i mean the theater could either you know do it like has been dictated or you know, walk away and not show the movie. So would, who who are you hurting by not seeing the movie, I guess would be the question.
0: Well, uh, the theater in the short run and hopefully the studio in the long run, because if enough people don't support the theater who is trying to gouge the customer, then hopefully the theater will get the message and then mm. stop accepting this treatment from the studio.
1: Yeah, I, I think it's a bad business move all around. and, and it's, It is,
0: it really, it, yeah, that, it's, it's unacceptable. And they're saying that there could actually be... Um, legal issues in certain states with price fixing laws and such that are sure. in place sure
1: and you know i i don't want to get into the politics of all that sure. you know cuz i i have varying opinions on that that most people would not agree with but i from a business standpoint it seems dumb and from a customer standpoint i'm i'm against it and it just seems like why why would you do this why, you i don't understand the motivation behind why they're trying to do this and there, we it puts them in a really bad light when they're already making more money than anybody else in the industry. It just paints them in a really bad light, and instead of of garnering you, you know some uh, some goodwill from the fans, what it's and you know from theater owners and whatever, it's saying, "Look at us, we're just grabbing for more money." Uh, it it really feels bad in the midst of everything that's going on. In the midst of a little bit of. Eh, the Marvel Universe is getting a little too big. Disney's getting a little too big for its britches. Hey, let's grab a little, little bit more money, you know. Well,
0: and without wanting to get too deep into the economics of it, that's what happens when you have a bunch of shareholders and you have to each quarter tell them, "Hey, we found a new way to make you even more money."
1: Right, right, right. Uh,
0: yeah. So you know, that's that's what they do. They inevitably go the uh, price gouging route.
1: It's it's self defeating, you know, and it'll take care of itself eventually. But it's just frustrating to see them doing this. So mm-hmm. uh-huh. Joss Whedon reveals that the Thor, that what Thor's subplot was supposed to, and then you cut it off, Joe. Uh, I gotta click <laughs> over here to the right tab, was supposed to be an Avengers Age of Ultron. Um, and this this gets into some of what I'll talk about in the review if I if I get there and if I remember to talk about it. I, f- I feel like sometimes I say that and then we never do circle back around to something. But I, I'll just I'll I'll assume we're going to talk about it. But it, one of the weirder digressions in Avengers: Age of Ultron has Thor seeking answers to questions that crop up in a nightmare sequence. It feels tacked on, almost as if it were part of a much larger storyline. Um, and so essentially, uh, what happened is that uh, Joss Whedon. Uh, was was forced to put this scene in the movie and the team up with Eric Selvig, um, which also felt kind of odd and forced. Um, and he was, he was forced to put this in the movie by the uh, studio because the studio basically held a gun and said, you know this scene that you love and that we don't really love, or well, we're going to make you take it out if you don't give us this other scene. And so J- Joss Whedon acquiesced and said, well, I'd rather have this scene in than my wonderful scene out, which was one of the best parts of the film. Glad he got to leave it in. Boo at the boo on the studio for 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 holding a gun to uh, metaphorically to <laughs> such a great filmmaker's head who does wonderful work <laughs> and saying you have to put this in there. I, I, uh, this is this is, uh, Marvel's starting to become frustrating in this way.
0: Well, and uh, as much as I hate this, uh, this is something they've been doing for a few years now. Sure, they yeah. they apparently took even much more aggressive actions on Thor The Dark World uh, mm-hmm. a little while back. Yeah. And especially knowing that uh, Joss Whedon is kind of on his way out the door and everything, they feel fairly comfortable uh, strong-arming him on things, and Marvel has the movie they want to make, and Joss Whedon has the movie he wanted to make, and the two don't always mesh, and you can see that, unfortunately, now Yes, and again, yes. in the end product.
1: And I feel like the movie that I saw Joss Whedon making was a better movie. That's what's so yes, frustrating. I agree. So... Um, Joe, what do you got to say about this, man?
2: I I think it's really hard to appreciate the merits of what Joss may have had in mind because we'll never get to know exactly how we would have appreciated or not appreciated the insert. It sounds like it was going to be a very, um, uh, significant scene. Very, it sounds cool. Like just reading uh, what Whedon said it was going to be like. Uh, but at the same time, it, it wasn't just the studio that criticized the scene. They actually showed it to some, you know, pre, they had some pre-screenings and test audiences who got to see it without all of the finished, um, you know, like refinements and uh, polish to th- the scene with special effects and score and color grading and such. So the people who got to see like a rough cut of the scene that was already filmed with Chris Hemsworth were not liking it and so it's not entirely the the studio's fault like they were trying to make an arbitrary decision based on a formula and that is what does the test audience think and if the test audience doesn't like it then let's get rid of it
0: so the thing is i can see why it was a bad idea to get rid of it entirely at that point right and then the studio said no you have to keep it in yep
2: yeah it's which is weird
1: but well, it's it's uh, creative mean,
2: differences, but Joss Whedon is not uh, a stranger to creative differences.
1: It's it's the sort of thing that the studio wanted in there in some form or fashion because it's going to tie the movies together in this particular way that they want. And while I'm a fan of the of of the universe in general, I'm not a fan of shoehorning the universe to fit your narrative.
2: But ultimately that's what all the creative people are doing like you have an objective like the good guys must win and some of them may fall in the battle but they will win Mm. and that that in and of itself is a shoehorning that is what writers do it's just that some people are so much better at writing those things to make a a very compelling story than a bunch of you know producers or you know executive boards
0: Uh, i do feel though that that History has demonstrated that Marvel would be better off giving its filmmakers more of a free hand because in every case, all of the stories that I've heard about the stuff that Marvel's interfered with as opposed to the stuff the director really wanted to do, the director's side of it looks better, sounds better, feels better pretty much every time. And the movies that Marvel interferes heavily in, Thor, The Dark World, Iron Man 2, turn out to be Marvel's messiest worst movies Mm -hmm. frankly uh well
1: the reason i think is because you have the executives who aren't necessarily directors or filmmakers going we need this and we need that and these pieces fit together like this and we got to put them in here like that and they're not thinking about the film the way joss whedon who is who wrote the film and it's joss whedon's baby or whoever the director may be i'm using this film as an example they're not thinking about it in that way they're thinking about how the pieces all fit together to make more money they're thinking Mm -hmm. about how the universe holds itself together. And, and as I alluded to earlier in the podcast, I like it better when it feels like we're not necessarily we're, we're telling this story right now. Get back to us in a couple of years and we'll tell you another story right now. We're telling you this story. And, and that's more what I want. I, again, I'm, I'm a fan. I, I like the Avengers. I like the universe that we're in, but I'm not a fan of of the universe feeling like we're always thinking about the next story and not this mm-hmm. one not this right. one we're not thinking about this one as much as we're thinking about the next one and i don't want like that every movie
0: is a commercial for the next movie right and yeah. then it's
1: like well why are we watching these movies then because the next movie that you're commercialing now you're going to be commercialing the one after that and the next one like mm-hmm. i don't want that so that that's the frustration that i'm feeling right now and this you know these these articles that i've linked that we're talking about kind of open up the, these issues i think and and deal with them um, so Speaking though of linked universes, I want to move right along because I feel like we're going to be talking about Avengers most of the <laughs> for a couple more hours here. <laughs> um, the Avengers: Age of Ultron's plot hole will be filled on Agents of Shield, and, and this Do is I? actually yeah. See, the, so this sort of thing is actually something that I like much better. I, I appreciated the fact that the last uh, episode of Agents of Shield led into the Avengers. Where you can see the Avengers and it doesn't – you don't miss what happened in Agents of S.H.I.E.L.D., but it's a nice tie-in, and there's going to be some more stuff happening in Agents of S.H.I.E.L.D. that will be related. I I, I think that's fine. Um, last week's Agents of S.H.I.E.L.D. perfectly set up Avengers Age of Ultron with plenty of references to the film's opening sequence. Soon we'll see another Avengers sequence explained in the show. Uh, it's a spoiler, blah, 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 so you've been warned. Uh, <clears throat> To recap in Avengers Age of Ultron, Nick Fury comes to Hawkeye's house to reassess the situation between Ultron and the Avengers. He then goes off, promising some kind of help, and disappears for a good chunk of the movie. He later reappears with a working helicarrier, thought lost in the Hyder takeover of S.H.I.E.L.D., which led to my question for Kevin Feige. This is an article, by the way, uh, by Jermaine Lucier. He says, Now when Nick Fury goes away and comes back with a helicar- helicarrier, that seems to be a big chunk of off-screen story. Is that something we might see referenced on, uh, on Agents of S.H.I.E.L.D.? And Feige says, "I think it's fair to say you could fill in some of those blanks in the coming weeks on Tuesday at 9. <laughs> so, so there you go. The we're we're going to get more answers to some of these questions. And this 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 is again mixed feelings because I did feel like the whole helicarrier thing came a little bit out of nowhere in Avengers: Age of Ultron.
2: Have they used any helicarriers in the TV show before?
1: Uh no. They I seem don't, really missing. No, I don't think so. Um, I imagine they're pretty expensive to animate and put on the on the screen. Yeah. Um, they, they
2: don't have miniatures for those.
1: I don't know. And to, and to be fair, um, uh, in Captain America, you know, there was there was uh, I don't know what sixteen episodes before Captain America: The Winter Soldier. But then, like we assume they were the, the 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 Helicarriers. There was only one, and then, then there were three in, in Captain America: The Winter Soldier. So it's not like they're um, oh, yeah. the plentiful in the universe.
2: And they probably have to be retired like every three years, like every <laughs> other car. Uh, these days,
1: now Joe, I assume you're completely missing out on all this because you just don't like Agents of Shield.
2: Yep, no, actually, I do intend to watch the Agents of Shield. I just haven't been on top of it. Uh, I need to go back and catch up. I'm right now
0: going
1: through Daredevil. So am I. So am I, Clark. Where are you too. are? You watching I'm, Agents of Shield?
0: No, but I am watching Daredevil as well. I'm nine. Did episodes you quit out. on Shield? Yeah, I quit after six episodes. Uh,
2: you guys. Mm. Yeah, see, that's about uh, where, where a, I
0: stopped. I know. It, it no, felt no, more I'm, like it felt more like homework. <laughs> than like something I was actually enjoying. I feel
1: like the only person in the world that really loves it and enjoys it, and I don't understand. I in, think murder uh, Man
2: likes it, or um, somebody out there else I, I've read on Twitter. I, I still
1: like the show a lot, but I almost liked it better before Captain America the Winter Soldier, and that is a rare breed of, of human indeed, apparently. Uh, because everybody says, oh, it got so much better after Agents of S.H.I.E.L.D., and I would say it got more... Hmm actiony uh you might say um, but it's it's fine i i enjoy it just fine so you guys you're party poopers and i don't know why i had you both on my podcast to talk about this i, I
2: think that they had you in mind tj they, they did a profile a test audience with you you like the show and then they put it out the way that you like yeah. it so
1: Well, Fizz is is uh, trying to uh, reach through his speakers that he's listening to this podcast on right now, and 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 give me a piece of his mind about the show. I'm sure, but (laughs) because you guys are not nearly vehement enough in your dislike for it, Daredevil's (laughs) good though. It is. I'm I'm only on episode two. (laughs) Sorry, really. Sorry, that's okay. It's it's I've just had so much to do. Um, Did you finish episode two? Yes. Just wait until you get to episode three.
0: Episode two is really something.
1: Is that the
2: fight scene inside of the hallway?
0: Yeah, the hallway. Oh, that's good. It's
1: good. Yeah, yeah. I, hmm, it felt a little, <laughs> little bit messy. I, I don't know. Well,
2: yeah, I kind of felt a little bit YouTube-ish, like
0: the, what the guys
1: would yeah. do if they're trying to show felt, f-
2: their their choreography skills for a YouTube video
0: fight. <laughs> but it was in well, a What good I loved way. about it was that it felt so, so sort of human. Uh yes. it, it was yes. messy, and it was uh, clunky at times, and it felt real to an extent that uh, movie fights, TV show fights usually don't.
1: It didn't right. make sense to me, though. I'm, And here's the, the analytical side of my brain saying, mm-hmm. OK, he walked in into a hallway that was empty <laughs> and he busted down the door and picked a fight with these guys rather than going in the door where the kid was at and taking him out and just getting out of there. I, 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 mm, that didn't make sense to me. Well, TJ, then you, aren't you a party right. pooper? <laughs> I take it you're, you're upset with me, Clark. You, you don't agree.
0: No, no, no. no I, well, you know, uh, I think you have to clear the area first and make sure it's safe before you put a kid in your arms and then try and run out. You could have somebody chasing right after you.
1: Mm, I suppose. That makes sense, I suppose. I don't know.
0: Sure. Anyway, sorry to uh, take us off the beaten path. No, no,
1: no. It's good. I, I mean it's part of the Marvel <laughs> thing. Oh, that. you mean uh-huh. from this Marvel path into <laughs> this other Marvel path. Right. So, so do either of you think that – and you guys are further along than I am. You may know. Will this be linked in any way either now or in the future with the Marvel Cinematic Universe? They, uh, it, it is. They, it is.
0: Uh, there have been a couple of references um, to things that have happened.
1: Okay, because I I felt like very was,
0: loose, very loose. I
1: felt like there was a vague reference that you could tie in with the MCU, something about vigilantes and stuff in the first episode, and all the stuff that's been going on, and now this guy's running around Hell's Kitchen, sort of thing. But it didn't right. feel like really super tightly linked to the way most of the other stuff has so far.
0: It, it's it's supposed to be set in the same world, but they do want to, for the most part, uh, try and keep this fairly. Fairly separate from the cinematic stuff.
1: Do you suppose to a greater degree
0: than like Agents of Shield? Right. Often serves as like a commercial for the movies.
1: Do you suppose that's um, related to the backlash against Avengers? I'm sorry, I'm Agents of Shield.
0: No, I I think it's that uh, the Netflix things want to have their own tone. They're they're making something that's a, a little bit more mature, a little bit grittier than the movies. And uh they, they want to sort of have their own vibe, so they don't want to tie in too closely with the other stuff.
1: It's certainly, with possibly the exception of some of Captain America, The Winter Soldier, it's certainly a much darker in tone than anything we've seen from Marvel, really. Yeah. As a whole, I would say. And that's
0: that's appropriate for the character, I think, but sure. yeah, it is it is different.
1: I'm hoping, and, and don't spoil anything for me, I'm hoping that we'll get to uh get a little bit more nerdy about how this uh dude is able to, quote, see Things that are happening around him, uh, I, I, I'm, I'm sure we'll get. Really, it. yeah. I, I
2: felt like that was one of the movie's weak points. The original film about Daredevil, when they try to illustrate that, it just
1: well. I don't kind want of, him to go uh, too far. But I would like the to know a little more. You know, yeah. I don't know.
2: It's sort of like if you really break down Batman and try to explain everything away, then it kind of ruins the mystique. If you try to mm. make it too it's too scientific, I think.
1: Okay. Well. With that, I think we should move into our review proper of Avengers Age of Ultron.
0: I'm going to show you something beautiful. Everyone screaming for mercy. You want to protect the world, but you don't want it to change.
1: You're all puppets, tangled in strings, strings.
2: The end. The end of the path I started us on.
0: Nothing lasts forever.
1: That was from the trailer for Avengers Age of Ultron. The film was released on May the 1st, 2015. It had a budget of $250 million. Opening weekend, uh, it made $191.2 million. So I think they might make another one of these and possibly a worldwide gross 643.4 million. The critics consensus is that it is exuberant and eye-popping Avengers age of Ultron serves as an overstuffed, but mostly satisfying sequel reuniting its predecessors cast uh, unwieldy cast with a few new additions and a worthy foe debatable uh, director and writer, <laughs> Joss Whedon. And I'm going to read a rather long cast list to show how overstuffed this movie is. It stars Robert Downey Jr. as Iron Man, Chris Hemsworth as Thor, Mark Ruffalo as Hulk, Chris Evans as Captain America, Scarlett Johansson as Black Widow, Jeremy Renner as Hawkeye, James Spader as the voice of Ultron, Samuel L. Jackson as Nick Fury, Don Cheadle as War Machine, Aaron Taylor Johnson as Quicksilver, Elizabeth Olsen as Scarlet Witch, Paul Bettany as Jarvis slash Vision, Kobe Smulders as Maria Hill, and Anthony Mackie as Falcon, just to name but a few of the people that (laughs) appear in this film. The composers were Danny Elfman and Brian Tyler, and Alan Silvestri's original score made a few guest appearances. Uh, <laughs> while we're here, Clark, uh, why don't you uh, why don't you tell us the woes of this film's score?
0: Uh, yeah, this is an odd situation, and I still don't know all the behind-the-scenes details, but Brian Tyler was originally the guy hired uh, to score the movie. I don't know if Alan Silvestri was unavailable or didn't want to do it, whatever the situation may be. They decided to go with Brian Tyler. He's a talented guy, did good work on uh, Iron Man 3 mm-hmm. and Thor mm-hmm. The Dark World, one Absolutely. of the few things I liked about the latter. Um, and then they decided later on in the production process they needed to bring in Danny Elfman to provide some additional music to rescore or some other scenes. Um, the odd thing is Danny Elfman seems to be writing... Um, very much in brian tyler's voice as much as he can it sounds more like brian tyler than it does
1: like most of elfman's other music it does there were times um, when i could pick up a danny elfman uh, kind of feel
0: but you're right for right. the most part right so danny elfman uh, wrote a lot of music a fair chunk of the stuff that he wrote was actually taken out of the movie and uh replaced with tracks from alan silvestri's original score so the final film has a lot of Tyler, a lot of Elfman, a little bit of Sylvester. Uh, both Tyler and Elfman incorporate bits of Sylvester's theme at various points. So it's not as if that wouldn't have existed without the Sylvester tracks being tracked in. Uh, it, it's very much a made by committee sort of score, mm-hmm. and uh, you know, an example of the sort of thing that happens again when uh, too many fingers get placed in the pot. It's not a terrible score, but it's an awfully generic one and doesn't yes. have as much focus as the first.
1: I feel like this illustrates most of the problems I'm going to have with this movie when we get into more of those sorts of discussions uh, later mm-hmm. on in the podcast. But mm. it, it definitely felt very generic, very oddly mashed together. There were times when the score felt wholesale rep- reprised and now you're telling me, Clark, that they actually did wholesale t- take the score from the first film and put it in. I suppose where I felt that the most keenly was the appearance of the helicarrier, and they completely... It, it didn't feel like a, a reprise or a, uh, Hey, remember the helicarrier? Here's kind of that theme. No, it felt like they took the music when the helicarrier was rising out of the ocean in the first movie and, and just put it in there when the helicarrier appears. Mm-hmm. Is that, is that what I'm, is, is that an accurate I, I assessment?
0: Couldn't, I couldn't tell you specific, specific scenes where it happens. I just know that it happens.
1: The, hmm. the appearance of Alan Silvestri's theme would be welcome and is welcome at many mm-hmm. points. Um, but there, there, this this score just feels a little disjointed. It feels odd. It, it, I couldn't quite – occasionally it would take me out of the film, and, and I was a little frustrated by it. And mm-hmm. I was I was listening recently to it, uh, and it's not a bad listen to, as you're working, uh, but I was listening to it on Spotify as I was working yesterday. And I just noted it just doesn't do for me what the first score did. I, I enjoy mm-hmm. listening to that first score. It has a lot of – heart it has a lot of uh personality and the score just lacks that just very much lacks it
2: well i looked up alan silvestri and he was working on a uh uh, some music for a super mario brothers game related documentary back in 2014 (laughs) so maybe he was just too busy he had much more
1: important things to do (laughs) maybe so well that's that's frustrating um in our uh one of our former uh one of my former co-hosts on the show, Joe, when you were dead, uh, Chad, he chimed in on, on Twitter when I talked about it, and he he agreed with me as well. So I feel like I oh, hit the nail yeah. on the head there. So
2: yeah, Clark, you can add me to that list of the uh,
1: recessed Avengers. <laughs> 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 so Joe, why don't you tell us uh, kind of something about the storyline in this movie?
2: Yeah, yeah. When Tony Stark and Bruce Banner try to jumpstart a dormant peacekeeping program called Ultron, things go horribly wrong. It's up to Earth's mightiest heroes, the Avengers, uh, to stop the villainous uh, Ultron, I want to call him Megatron, (laughs) from enacting his terrible plans. His terrible plans. DJ, did you
1: write that? Uh, I did not.
2: (laughs) Is there a play on words there? (laughs) No.
1: I'm not sure what you're hinting at, but no. I did not write it, and I'm not playing on words. I gotcha so as as you may have gathered by now guys my feelings on this movie are very mixed um it's it's not a bad mm. movie by any stretch of the imagination i quite enjoyed it and particularly i think what saves this movie from being bad is the joss whedon moments that joss was able to fight mm. for and get in this movie the dialogue the wittiness the, the the heart and soul of this movie is a joss whedon film and, and that saves it from being a bad film but but I'm so conflicted over this film, uh, hmm. but I'm interested to hear more of what you guys think.
2: Four stars is just not enough for TJ.
1: <sighs> what, do you, what do you think, Joe? I, I, Clark and I have been <laughs> well, talking I, a lot about I this. I feel what like you this think?
2: is a very solid film. I feel like there is a lot here to enjoy in the grand scheme, though. The one thing that I kind of was hoping for, if I had to sum up my feelings, is that I wanted a little bit – of a, a a greater impact in this film on the continuation of the Marvel franchise films because when it's all said and done, it kind of feels a little bit episodic, like yep. you could skip this film, go to the next one and there's only like one or two kind of small details that you would miss and wonder, wait a minute, who's this new guy and uh, why is it so-and-so and so-and-so are not working together anymore? But for the most part, there just isn't a whole lot of impact here. And when there was a lot of press coverage about the movie uh, over the month Last year, uh, it, you got the impression this was going to be Joss Whedon's *The Empire Strikes Back* of all Marvel films. Like this was going to be uh, darker, deeper, grittier, higher stakes, uh, greater casualties. Uh, you know, more things that would have an, a permanent impact in the the continuing films. And what we got just felt a little bit like, you know, the Avengers are ultimately fighting some transformer. But uh, go ahead. <laughs>
1: All right, Clark.
0: Yeah, um this is a messy movie. It really is. It's also a good movie, um it, it, in the sense that I, I would enjoyed it more than I disliked it. In spite uh, of
2: yourself, Clark, you found yourself chuckling.
0: No, no, I well I I Along enjoyed, with the villain. <laughs> I, I like TJ said, I, I enjoyed uh the parts that felt truest to Joss Whedon's voice. Mm-hmm. Uh, It's a movie where almost all of the quiet moments, the small moments, the intimate moments are great. Um, I love the scenes with the characters hanging out together. There is sort of an extended stretch in the midsection of the movie that's very quiet, very low-key for a movie like this, and I really dug it. Uh, Some of the best stuff in the movie.
1: Low-key or (laughs) low-key? I see what you (laughs) mean. Both, yes, of course.
0: Yeah. there's some really nice character beats. There's that great scene with Thor's hammer. Um, all that stuff I thought was fantastic in terms of the action. Uh, I thought it was a lot sloppier and, uh, the movie also felt horribly overstuffed at times, but we can get to the details of this once we get deeper into the likes hmm. and dislikes, I guess.
2: Really? I'm really surprised guys. Uh, maybe I'm just not scrutinizing the film as much because, uh, maybe I've lowered the bar. I, I, I didn't think I had, uh, I went into this film expecting, uh, you know, a a big sensation, you know, no no way was Joss Whedon going to let me down. And with my high expectations, I felt like I was – mostly fulfilled i think it's going back to y'all's earlier criticism about the soundtrack i have no doubt that y'all are right about the uh the culmination of the soundtrack that it's just not on par with the first film uh, in terms of like technical um savvy and you know creativity and originality but when i was just watching the movie with a packed you know uh audience and uh, you know, sitting along there with my friends and family eating popcorn and just watching the film, I, I didn't really pick up on those uh, subtleties really getting in the way. Uh, and uh, hmm. I, 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 there is though something that I, I did capture in my notes. Um, I wrote about a thousand words about this movie the night after I saw – the same night I saw the film. My very first impression was – wow, this is a masterpiece among superhero films. Not better, not worse than all the other masterpieces. This is one of those great masterpieces. But something feels like – I almost if, – if there was any way that Joss Whedon did let me down, or should I say the studio? We can just blame the studio for all of the film's shortcomings. Um, then what I would say is it doesn't top the first Avengers film.
1: Well, that was going to be my question to you, Joe, is well, how do you rate it compared to the first Avengers film?
2: God. Uh, barely equals but okay. that was good enough for me
1: okay yeah I, I mean i feel like one of the things that happened with this film and maybe part of this is joss whedon's fault but i think i feel like one of the things that happened with this film the, the, the first film is kind of criticized for not really going anywhere it, it you know it's like well they kind of wind up on a helicarrier and it's all part of loki's plan and it all kind of is weird and it way and like and i feel like maybe joss whedon says oh Oh, you want a little more action, and you want us to go all over the place. Well, here we're going to have this part take place in this part of the world, and this place take place, in this part and we're going to go back to the Avengers Tower, and then we're going to go over here, and we're going to be all over, we're going to be on the internet, and we're going to be on this flying city. Like, I, I feel like maybe a little bit of that is is a reaction to the 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 minor criticisms that the first Avengers got. I, I don't know. What am I off base here, Clark? What do you think about that?
0: Well, uh, I I don't know whether that's a direct response to it. I, I do feel there's a significant difference in tone between the first movie and this one. Yeah. And I feel like the first movie is Joss Whedon applying his voice to the Marvel formula and fine-tuning it and enthusiastically uh, making it the best it can be. Mm-hmm. Um, I feel like it's very much a Marvel movie through and through, and uh, Joss Whedon's sort of personality is sprinkled all over it. But this movie feels like uh, Joss Whedon trying to resist the Marvel formula a little bit more. Yep, yep, yep. And, and sometimes it works, and sometimes it causes some strain. There's more of Joss Whedon in this movie than there was in the first film. There's also more of uh, Marvel's sort of corporate interference in this movie than there was in the first yeah. one. And that definitely leads to a tonal disconnect at times.
1: It's almost like the more the, the studio squeezed, the more Joss Whedon uh, squeezed out into the film, uh, you right. might say. Right, <laughs> <laughs> exactly. Um, yeah, it's 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 a very interesting tone in that way and a very interesting balance. Um, y- you know, I, I really I really enjoyed the wittiness but there's there's a sense in which the tone of this film also reflects the state of Joss Whedon in that he, for a while on Twitter, he seemed very what little he was on Twitter, and especially very recently, seemed very kind of standoffish, tired, sober. weary, <laughs> sober, uh, stay away from me. I'm am just tired, and he said as much in interviews. It's like I I, I just cannot continue in the in the Marvel Universe for whatever the reasons, and I feel like a lot of that is reflected in this film, the tiredness that the theme of uh, you know the Hulk and 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 black widow wanting to just get away from it all and retire and and get out of the Avengers. And there's kind of a theme, you know, Tony Stark, he wants to quit. He doesn't want to be iron man forever. He wants, you know, he wants Ultron to take over for him. And I feel like that that's, that's part of what's, you know, whatever is happening in Joss Whedon is kind of being spilled out into the film. Maybe.
0: I agree. You feel, you feel that exhaustion in the movie. Uh, it definitely doesn't have that same spirit of energy and joy that Mm -hmm. the first film had. There's, Mm There's a weariness, and sometimes it's very effective the way that weariness is used in the movie. And sure. sometimes uh the movie just feels tired.
1: Yeah, absolutely. I, I I agree with that.
2: That was one of the bigger comments I heard from a variety of other people when they just wanted to sum up the film for me before I'd seen it. You know, they didn't want to give anything away. Mm-hmm. And everybody said the same thing. Uh it's exhausting.
1: <laughs> yes. Well, again, I mean you, you start uh with this this you know major battle sequence. And and I'll say this too with with uh with the first Avenger's film and again apparently as i 'm listening to and, and reading a few reviews of, of both of the films now that they 're both out and apparently i 'm in the minority on this but i I felt like the the battle stuff was maybe a little better in the first Avenger 's film where I could follow it better it didn 't feel as disjointed. It felt uh, like I had a sense of geography. And mm-hmm. this, this film, I didn't feel that nearly as as much. And I don't know whether that's studio interference or Joss Whedon just saying, ah, you know, just shake the camera a little. I'm tired. I don't want to deal with choreographing this correctly. I,
0: I, I agree with you completely. And I don't think that Joss Whedon has ever been a great action director. No. Uh, it's not his strong suit. No. But uh, the first movie felt a, a lot snappier, a lot cleaner. Uh, than this one did. There are action scenes in this movie that, frankly, feel pretty sloppy.
1: Very sloppy. Um,
0: and, And it really does feel as if he just doesn't care about those scenes. He's like, okay, this is the part where we have to blow stuff up and we have to punch robots and okay we have to have a couple of the characters fight each other let's just get this over with as quickly as possible and get back to the stuff I want to get into the themes and the characters and the dialogue and all this
1: yeah as much as people complain about the kind of the end battle scene in the first Avengers uh, film where it's like uh, you know mass destruction and you know it doesn't make a lot of sense and you know hey look uh, the mothership died and all the people on the planet that are left (laughs) they just die I mean as much as you get all that at the same time there was such a sense of of joy in utter yeah. Joy in the filmmaking and in this that's just utterly absent it is completely absent it's like uh explode yeah just put one over there and yeah sure we're gonna have him punch it like i didn't get a sense that there was any filmmaking in the in the fighting in this film
0: and, and there's so many great little comic beats in the action filmmaking in the first movie i, I love i was watching uh, the first avengers again shortly before this movie and i love the fact that pretty much every avenger gets an opportunity to beat up loki in some way <laughs> I love that, yeah. during the last uh, 30 or 40 <laughs> minutes there
1: puny god
0: yeah there there are so many great bits um but yeah it, it's it's a blast, and it really felt like his heart was in it there yeah and uh here, yeah, the action scenes feel very routine and they also feel familiar. i mean, how many marvel movies have we seen at this point where cities get destroyed, and uh you know the big s- sequence at the end with everybody punching robots felt an awful lot like uh, a less inspired variation of everybody punching aliens mm-hmm. at the end of the uh you know, first Avengers with a single sort of hive mind controlling everything.
1: Yeah, yeah, yeah. For sure. Yeah. So, uh, Joe, does the defense care to make a statement?
2: I don't really have much of a defense there. I felt like the uh, action in general was weaker in this film. I agree. Um, okay. just, it, it was not bad action. It wasn't like Michael Bay action. No, but, no, no. Yeah. Well, we're saying it's just not uh, Joss Whedon's best or a Marvel movie's best.
1: Joss Whedon, despite his failings as an action director, is a a better action director Um, than Michael Bay every day of the week and twice on Sunday. (laughs) Yes.
2: Yes. And going back to the first sequence where they were weaving in and out of the woods and showing off the different heroes doing mighty deeds. I felt like it was a bit forced to just to do the continuous stream around the woods and to show this and that and to like make them into a great big collage. You know, it it was fantastic. But at the same time, it just felt a little bit like, hey, we have special effects and a lot of money. Let's invest in a huge scene here at the very beginning just to show what we can do with a continuous stream of camera angles.
0: <laughs> well, it's worth mentioning, too, that weirdly, for a sort of big, expensive franchise that's uh, built on big action sequences, Marvel's never been that great at action as a general rule. There are some no. exceptions. Uh, the Winter Soldier actually has some exceptional action sequences. But um, for the most part, the action tends to be fairly generic in most Marvel movies. Yeah, I would
1: agree. What what mm-hmm. tends to make the Marvel movies tick and and, and why ultimately... I still like this movie is the interaction between the characters. Um, hmm. And it's certainly when Joss oh, Whedon yeah. is writing them and, and you've, you've, you know, I think somebody, I noticed somebody on Twitter said, uh, you know, Iron Man is always witty, but he's about 50% wittier when Joss Whedon writes his lines. What is it with that? You know, <laughs> well,
2: speaking of which I felt like this film was more of an ensemble film than the first one, even though Tony Stark always still a scene with a witty line, like uh don't take from my pile. Uh, it's it still, it feels like, I, when I was thinking about it and the more I thought about it, I just – I could not identify a central character in this movie in right, a good yeah. way. The, the central character was all of the core group of Avengers.
1: Yeah, if you were going to identify a central character, though, it would almost be Hawkeye, which which is great because it really makes up for the short shrift he got in the first film. I, that was when one of my big complaints with the first film was, man, I really like Hawkeye and I want to like him, but like he was you know a zombie for most of the first film mm-hmm. and he had blue eyes and – and he got to make up for it in the, in the in the in the you know in the final scene but here he it was really made up and and even the retrofitting of his character whether it makes sense or not i totally bought it just because i like him as a character and it was like yes this i like this this is good and you know it kind of fleshed some stuff out for him so uh i if you had to say but yeah i agree with you in general joe that this felt much more like an ensemble where the first film felt like iron man two and a half or really i I called it iron man three until iron man three came out because iron man was like the central character of the first avengers and yeah he's here and he's still iron man and he's still you know tony stark and he's still witty but he's much you know other than the fact that he created the problem that everybody has to deal with which we'll get Hmm. to i felt like he took much more of a yeah i'm here and i'm part of the avengers and i'm you know cutting up but uh here's hawkeye too he's you know he's kind of stealing the show so um, that, that's interesting
0: because I, I honestly felt like Iron Man was a more central part of this movie than he was in the first film well
2: he is perhaps but he it was doesn't... more central to the plot not necessarily for on
0: screen right. characters yes. right and, I, and yes. I guess that's what I'm saying though is, is I feel like he's really at the heart of this movie from a thematic standpoint mm, uh, yes. but, but yeah maybe more attention in terms of screen time and dialogue and stuff in the first movie right but, uh,
1: there's, there's no doubt that he's more integral to the plot in this film but right. he is less of the same center of attention i i, yeah. I mean maybe that's cool. that's what well, i'm
0: looking for and and the reason for that and i know we'll get into this more uh in a bit but uh the fact that basically when we're seeing ultron we're seeing tony stark to a certain extent
1: yes and true. so
0: he feels present in the movie even if he's not even when he's not there if that makes sense
1: well why don't Speaking we get a witch why yeah. don't we talk about that guy absolutely i was just about to say let's talk about ultron First of I all, have, first of all have you ever seen such horrible CGI in all of your life? That was <laughs> the worst what? CGI I've ever seen Marvel put out in my entire life. <laughs> Am I the only one that feels that way? I, I never okay, believed for a second that this was a movie. real piece of metal walking around on the screen. Not for one second. Really? Yeah. His Like, the, the horrible <laughs> contortions of his metal face. Like, fa- metal doesn't do that. I just, I don't know. And the way he walked felt very... Not real. (laughs) Am I the only one that felt that way?
2: No, I have to kind of agree because one of the things that struck me as uh, very unclear, it it was uh, shrouded in a lot of uh, details that they kind of put flesh on, but then they kind of made it ambiguous was whether or not he was – artificial intelligence or was he an alien life form? Was he both? Was he really kind of like a, a twisted version of like a human being made up with an alien brain or what exactly was he? And then I kind of agree that, um, like the way in which they built up the presence of his voice for the trailers made him (laughs) a little over the top with, there are no strings on me, but that version of Ultron seemed about as intimidating as your first view of an original star Wars movie with a scene with Darth Vader, like that palpable (laughs) sense of dread of this evil overlord. That's going to totally squash everybody good in this film. Mm -hmm. And you didn't get that when you watched the movie because (laughs) you come to find he's actually a huge source of the comical relief in the movie. And then it undermines the idea that he is, he is uh, he is dangerous, and that he's wicked, and he must be destroyed. Um, but at the same time, it's quite clear that he is maniacal. Oh, sure. Uh, but here is the problem: like uh, even the Avengers brought up several times ways in which. Ultron could ruin the world just uh, very quickly ruin the world because his brain could travel at the speed of light and he could hop from computer host to host to host and he he could take on various forms but Ultron didn't want to take advantage of so many ways to make the human race extinct, which is what he said he was wanting to do. But it's like, rather than let the Avengers catch him monologuing, which was something that came up in a a humorous bit of dialogue, rather than allow the Avengers to catch him monologuing and get the upper hand on him, he just went about a very dumb strategy that would actually be far more cumbersome uh, than anything that you would think a computer mind could come up well, with uh, to destroy no, but, the human but, race. Well,
0: I, I will say the one thing. He could have gone the most efficient route and just destroyed humanity, but he did seem to be toying with the idea of, well, what if I could just subjugate humanity or at least a portion of it and see how that works?
2: That too, uh, yeah. Yeah, he yeah, yeah he that that confused. is a possibility. Yeah,
0: he, he, he wasn't quite, uh, you know, he hadn't fully planned out his entire strategy.
1: He was too Tony Stark-like for that.
0: Right, and that's the interesting thing about him. And you know, the, the reason his sort of quippy nature works is that his personality is built on Tony Stark's, and he does sort of uh, deflect any serious moments with jokes and witticisms. The only difference is he's just m- massacring people while yeah. he's doing it.
1: Fun- funniest line in the movie is probably, "Oh man, I am terribly sorry about that. I'm <laughs> sure that'll be all right, but I just don't understand." He <laughs> yeah, cut off this guy's arm. Fun, yeah. yeah. I mean, he's probably the most Whedon-y villain that Whedon ever weedened in, in in some sense. But um, in in another sense, he just feels very half baked. Like uh, I I wish that more time had been spent exploring. Like like he just he just was. He just came into being, and he was Ultron, and he was evil because computers are evil when they come to life, and that's just the way it is. And I I wanted to spend more time, and I, ultimately I wondered if. Um, Well, and the way in which they
2: created him too was very uh, roundabout. Let's take this rock out of Loki's staff and we can use it like it's a brain. And very quickly, Tony Stark figures out the biology or with Bruce Banner's help of this rock and that it works just like a brain. Like is there no other thing? In biology that works like a brain, like say uh, a living cell has many complex parts and fires off lots of electrons and things like that, why couldn't the pattern of the rock just imitate any form of life? Why did it have to be so abundantly clear to them so quickly that it was just like a brain? You know, I mean, things like that. And then and then they compared it to Jarvis's system. And what's interesting is like any uh, uh, developer could tell you that a very intelligent looking computer program does doesn't look like it has a centralized no. web of well. Th-
1: this is this is comic book. I mean, you know. I know
2: it's just it, it bent it over backwards and broke it and then taped it back together again and <laughs> hoped that nobody would notice that this was something that is not very scientific, not very good sci-fi. Yeah, that, that,
1: you know that part doesn't bother me we so would much. Have,
2: you would have been laying into J.J. Abrams if he had done this in a Star Trek.
1: Well, film. yeah, but this is not Star Trek, Joe. If you'd done this in Star Trek. Completely. Yeah, okay. If you had done yeah. this in Star oh, Trek, yes, yes, I would totally be there with you. But this is a comic book movie and it's fine. But, <sighs> okay. but what I'm questioning
0: what <laughs> These I'm, movies are closer to fantasy than sci-fi oh, most yeah, of the time. Star Trek isn't supposed to be.
1: Right exactly. Yeah. The, 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 I don't care what the, a
2: Thor movie says, you're right. <laughs>
1: <laughs> the thing that I'm questioning is just the whole I'm evil. Here I am, I'm evil. Uh, you know, and, and
0: uh. well, it's worth bringing up uh, a quote. Uh, I just found this from Joss Whedon about a year ago when he was working on this movie and he says, I'm having a blast with Ultron. He's not a creature of logic. He's a robot who's genuinely disturbed. We're finding out what makes him menacing and at the same time endearing and funny and strange and unexpected and everything a robot never is. Yeah. But- so it's a very deliberate choice here to make him kind of, uh, an atypically illogical character but uh, i
1: but but he says everything a robot never is and 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 yes certainly in his dialogue and his quips and his quippiness and in his very lifelike face and whatever uh but but very not lifelike face because it was trying to be lifelike but but what I'm saying is ultimately he was no different than any other robot villain that's ever come into being. He's he was going to destroy the world because the, because humanity is the plague. I'm here to save the world, and humanity is the problem with the world. How many times have we seen that? How many? I mean, that's just every right. every single time. I mean, how nine thousand? I mean, come on. <laughs> yeah.
0: <sighs> It's it's not uh, you know they need to figure out that programming kink and the evil robots they keep making <laughs> in these movies. But yeah, well,
2: and, and this is why I compared it to the Transformers mess because uh, the uh, there are so many conflicting like storylines and interpretations of where the Transformers ought to go, could go, have been uh, going in various uh, you know cartoon adaptations, uh, comic book adaptations. It's messy, but if if you go back to the original concept, they were basically artificial intelligence built by an alien race to behave like low-level, you know, ser- fairly straightforward artificial intelligence. One group of them were meant to be transportation vehicles. The other one, a group of them were meant to be military, uh, you know, fighters. And so that's why you wound up with Autobots and Decepticons. It all just made sense. But then over you the years, so they've made them more and more like uh, biological and even spiritual <laughs> and allowed them to t- become turncoats and get emotional well, and have romance. Michael and then, Bay
1: has anyway,
2: not just Michael Bay, like it's gone everywhere. You know, so when it's all said and done, uh, you take Megatron, an iconic name among the Transformers universe. He is supposed to be a quintessentially a very uh, intelligent, strategic uh, military general mastermind, mm-hmm. but Never are any of his plans all that great. Never are any of his plans actually able to thwart the Autobots, which are not trained military bots at all. So it, why is it the military is always losing to the militia? Like, that doesn't make any sense. Mm-hmm. Less than militia. And and that's sort of where I felt like, you know, Transformers has their issues and their issues are not all named Michael Bay. And <laughs> but that's most kind of them of,
1: are. Let's be fair. Let's <laughs> be honest. Guess.
2: Yeah, I guess. And um, but then you know that's kind of where I, I kept on thinking, man. Like Ultron, you look more and more like a cross between Starscream and Megatron every second. It's really de- bugging me. Uh, but at the same time, he, he, I, I, I would have given him a little slack. Like he, there were some great character moments with him. I really liked his voice. And uh, give or take a little bit of the shortcomings of this CGI, which really didn't bug me. I, I felt like. He was enjoyable and fit into the Avengers oh, universe. He was
1: enjoyable. There's no doubt. I don't want to, I don't want to over complain because I enjoyed Ultron. Don't get me wrong. He, <laughs> he has was, a few he was loose
2: screws. That's what we're saying.
1: <laughs> but I have a, I have a serious, deep existential question, gentlemen. Oh dear. Who was the real villain in this movie? <laughs> what? Who was the real villain in this movie? Hint. It is not Ultron. You're going to say the producers? No. I'm somebody in the movie. I'm, I'm talking about the movie. Not, 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 I'm not getting that over deep and existential. I'm, I'm talking about Tony Stark. I agree. And, and I, it's frustrating. Like every, <laughs> think about this. Like in, in, Avengers, we had the, the Avengers opened the portal by which Loki got into our universe. And we had to stop Loki. Like the Avengers are responsible for the cleanup that they're doing. They're responsible for their mess. I want, I want a film where they're actually defending the earth from something other than themselves at some point.
0: To me, that's one of the more interesting ideas that this movie gets into. And, you know, uh, Captain America's whole question about, you know, when he's pondering whether or not Ultron is right with all of the accusations that he's flinging at the Avengers as being the most dangerous thing in the world. Ultron's logic makes a certain amount of sense. You know, mm-hmm, hey, mm-hmm. you you created me. You're pretty dangerous. I need to get rid of you. Uh, <laughs> but uh, It's just that simple. Th- 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 there's an interesting um, sort of callback here to the Winter Soldier in which, you know, we saw in that movie the way that S.H.I.E.L.D. was corrupted when it got too powerful and tried to, you know, police the world, that it was sort of overtaken by uh shield was the Hunt. thing
1: that we needed protected from
0: right and, and tony stark knows that he knows full well what's happened but he being a single man with a gigantic ego um can't apply that same sort of uh rationale rational thought to himself and he thinks well but if i do this i'm gonna get it right i can police the world by right, myself right, right, yes. you know and 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 it'll be fine So in the way that he sort of steps into that same trap, uh, letting his ego get the better of him is an interesting sort of character choice because his ego has always been both his greatest asset and his biggest liability. And it really sort of gets the better of him here to a degree that it never has
1: before. What was that line in the original Avengers? He's like, this guy, he wants to build a monument where everybody can see. It's like. Son of a gun. <laughs> I'm, I'm just changing it a little for the sake of not leaping myself out on my own podcast. Right. But he's like, <laughs> yes. Yeah, so the asset and problem all at the same time. But but here it's like he he is the villain and now he has to save the world from himself. Mm -hmm. And, and it was so totally muddied and unclear by the way that he then wanted to create the vision. And then, so like, here we go, we're about to have a showdown. And then Thor shows up and says, no, it's okay. This one's this time. It's okay. Like it was so unclear and so muddy.
2: Well, it's going to be very clear to you when we get Thanos in an upcoming film, Mm. you'll get your wishful. You'll get, I'm going to get into that in
0: a minute too.
1: Well, why don't you go ahead? Though we keep saying in a minute, but let's, okay, just, oh, let's get into it.
0: Uh, all right, sure. Yeah, let's get to it. Uh, I'm I'm tired of this Thanos business. Yeah, um, we have <laughs> th- this movie ended with basically the exact same scene as the uh, ending of the first Avengers. With yes, Thanos <laughs> basically saying, "Oh, I'm on the way. I'm a coming." And he did the same thing in Guardians of the Galaxy. And uh my feeling at this point is that they introduced him way too early. Absolutely. They've, they've built him up way too much and at this point Thanos has got to be the greatest villain of all time in the history of popcorn movies to live up to the sort of uh long multi-year march to his arrival in Infinity War.
1: There was uh, an interesting thing that happened in my theater. Uh the end credit scene came uh, you know right after the main credits or whatever you want to call them before the roll. Right. And you know it was Thanos, and everybody's like, oh, okay, that's interesting." <laughs> and so most people, like me, and everybody, you know, ha- at least half of us hung around because we knew there's probably going to be something else. Maybe shawarma, who knows? And there was a palpable frustration when that there was nothing. <laughs> it, was, it was like it Good. was like that's it. That was yeah. lame. I heard people it saying was totally- that was lame. And so Marvel has built up a. They built up this expectation that they cannot continue. They've they've really kind of done themselves in. But B, it really was lame.
0: <laughs> well, to his Apparently, credit, uh, Joss Whedon tried to sort of uh, quell the anger in advance uh, about a week before the movie came out. He went on Twitter and he was like, "Hey, everybody, just so you know, there is no post credits scene in the movie." And everybody's like, "Ha ha, you're joking." We know there's a post credit scene. <laughs> He's like, "Nope, not joking. No post credit scene. So mm-hmm. you don't mm-hmm. need to sit through after the mid credit scene." And uh, people were still surprised and upset. Apparently, after that, but
1: well, because Marvel's built up this expectation. I mean, they, they, right. and they're not—they didn't do any expectation management. They've, you know, they've—if anything—the credit scenes have been ramping up. And this was this was by comparison. But I think it's the the lamest. The single scene that was there is the lamest of any Marvel credit scene that's ever been.
0: Uh, I don't know. Was it worse with uh, than that thing in Thor with the uh, monster that came crashing through the? Through the portal, <laughs>
1: yes. Uh, uh, I don't remember that.
0: Or the scene where uh, Thor comes back and interrupts Natalie Portman's breakfast. Both of those scenes and Thor were terrible.
1: Yeah, At the end of I the dark. I don't hate them as terrible. much. I, I thought those were good. I, but I yeah,
0: you're them. right. I mean, this scene is—it's it's, really—it is the the scene from the first Avengers all over again. Yes. Just the dialogue this time.
1: Yeah, it's like, uh, how long have we known that, that Thanos is coming? And I have no doubt it's going to be big and epic when it comes. But they are building it up too much. They introduced him too soon. Eh, anyway, it's frustrating. It's frustrating. In a, you know, we keep talking about our, our frustrations, our dislikes, and I honestly like this movie and I like yeah. the Marvel Universe. But I think it, it's, it's getting to the point with me uh, the way I feel when when Star Trek messes up and they've done it a lot. I'm like, oh, guys, really, you can be so much better. We want so much from you. So I feel like that's where we're at with Marvel right now. It's like, come on, guys. And
0: it's interesting to me that this is the movie that – because I'm seeing this from a lot of people. There are a lot of folks out there who are really frustrated with Marvel right now, and they're concerned about the future of the Marvel universe. And that this is the movie that's triggering that um, because I've seen some troubling trends at Marvel for a little while now. But for some reason, this movie, um, being as sort of blatantly messy as it is – is something that's really kind of gotten to the public in a way that nothing else has. Well, and it's unfortunate
1: um, that Joss Whedon had to direct the movie that's getting this sort of attention because, right. because I don't I do think, think it's his I, fault.
0: I don't think it's by any means the worst Marvel movie. I think it's better than several of them.
1: Oh, yeah. Well, it's, it's better than uh, Thor, the original Thor, for sure. Um, you know, Well, I, for the fact of the matter, I,
2: I still feel like it's, in in my rating scale, I'd still say it's uh, slightly better than The Winter Soldier.
1: Really? I would yeah. not. I would not at all.
0: Hmm. I, I would. I would agree with that. But I don't like the Winter Soldier as much as most people. I think it's a very, a very overstuffed movie.
1: Mm. <laughs> not, and this one's not. This one is
0: too. But this one is a little bit more fun. The,
1: the, this film, I feel like, suffered a little bit from Spider-Man Three syndrome. <laughs>
0: Oh, dude! Ouch. A little bit. I
1: didn't say a lot. A, a little It's
0: bit. a different sort of thing. But there are, and we could talk about this now too. There are too many characters in this movie. Yes, yeah, and, uh, and some of that every, is Joss Whedon's doing. He
1: wanted to introduce yeah. like Spider-Man if he could have, and he, they didn't have the rights. But
0: well, and I, I, I'll get to that too because I think I think I know why he wanted to introduce Spider-Man. But we should mention that there are pr- pretty much every major character from all of the other Marvel movies that they could stuff in here is here, and. Um, can we uh, – is it uh, too spoilery to talk about the very end of the movie? No, let's we do it. Let's just that? call spoiler or,
1: warning and, and
0: do it. Yeah, so spoiler warning. Uh, at the very end of the movie, we basically get a preview of what the new Avengers are going to look like.
1: Yeah, yeah, yeah.
0: Um, Which and is fine. We, it's, it's fun. We've got War Machine in there, and we've got Falcon in there, and we've got Vision, and we've got Scarlet Witch. Yes. Um, the problem is it's incredibly difficult to get excited about that team because in this movie anyway – uh, Scarlet Witch is the only one they've bothered to do much character development with, and yeah. even her, she, she's still a little underdeveloped, so we don't really care about these people all that much. So it's yeah. hard to get excited looking at that group and saying, oh, that's the new Avengers, because the movie makes them all seem awfully forgettable. Now, I do granted, have a
1: certain affection for a Falcon.
0: Right, but that's all from The Winter Soldier. There's right. none of that in this movie. Right. And I feel like if they want that in this movie to have an impact, they should have done more with him, given him some better moments. Um, yep. Because he's barely here, and at the end they're like, hey, he's, he's your new guy. Um, yeah. I feel like Joss Whedon wanted to put in Spider-Man at the end just because Spider-Man has a level of kind of um, – he's a character that transcends the actor playing him. Uh, he, he's such a major figure in pop culture that the very presence of Spider-Man, even if you never showed his face or showed who was playing him, that would be exciting to people, Hmm. uh, that Spider-Man was going to be part of the next Avengers team. I don't think you can say that about any of these other characters. Uh, they they don't have that same impact.
1: Hmm. Maybe so.
2: And I have to agree. That was even something I got into a random conversation about with the guy at T-Mobile store today. <laughs> I went in there to uh, get some other headphones, and oh, uh, he, he he knows that I am on a movie podcast, and so he's like, "Hey, so what'd you think of the Ultron film?" and And before we knew it, one of the first comments that he and I both made was that um we felt like War Machine and Falcon could have been should have been more in the film just because like why weren't they helping the Avengers more consistently in the well, story?
1: But because there was already too many Avengers.
2: <laughs> right. But right. if from a objective standpoint,
1: no I get like, it, yeah.
2: Why weren't they just there doing their part, you know? It, it, it seems very arbitrary that they were not allowed to be like uh, avengers first class. No, no,
1: no. <laughs> you, you're you're in the dugout. You know, wait for your turn. You, you, somebody else is at bat. Yeah. Somebody well, else is well, on the Well, mountain. not even all the avengers got to be avengers first class. I mean, where was Thor for most of the movie? I and mean, he was off having his vision or whatever and he was hardly in the end fight and You know, and I've gotten this impression from the
0: first avengers and this film, uh, I could be wrong about this. I haven't read interviews confirming this one way or the other. I feel like Thor is probably Joss Whedon's least favorite. Oh. Of the yeah. Yes, I think he
1: said as much. Yeah, he, he's too he doesn't seem
0: to to have much interest in writing for him.
1: Yeah,
2: but um, then he has to go and introduce another superhero in a very interesting way that uh, goes into Thor territory.
1: Mean Scarlet yeah. Witch? No, your Vision. It, hmm. Vision? Yes. Oh, Vision. Yeah, that that, is true. that <laughs> and, is true. And Vision.
0: Okay, so Vision, I think, is a fascinating character. Um, yes. but we don't get nearly enough time with him for him to make the big impression uh, that he's supposed yes. to. Uh, well, Paul Bettany's uh, performance is terrific.
1: Yes. It, but but, but uh, he was a very confusing character to introduce halfway through the movie <laughs> and the way in which he was introduced and Thor came and sa- swooped in and we didn't know what he was doing what and- the heck was Thor doing.
2: Yeah, exactly.
0: <laughs> and, and I got to say this was something that disappointed me. So Ultron is uh, this whole time he's preparing a human body, right or something like a human body. Right. Uh, and I'm like, "Oh, This is going to be pretty cool. Uh, So at some point in this movie, uh, we're not going to have to look at this crappy-looking robot anymore. And James Spader is going to take over and be Ultron, and that's going to be great.
1: I did have that thought, too, yeah.
0: (laughs) But alas, no. No. Yeah. I not to be.
1: Yeah. I I, I kind of wanted that, but I kind of knew that it wasn't going to happen because I, I, I would, would. I thought we would have heard more if James Spader actually made an appearance in this movie.
0: See, I, I guess I hadn't read enough to know that that wasn't the case, but I was almost a little mad at the Avengers when they thwarted his plans. I was like, <laughs> no, don't leave him in that ugly looking CGI shell.
1: Nice. <laughs> <laughs>
2: <laughs> or right. another thing too is that jarvis didn't originally become vision in the comics and cartoons and whatnot like that's not part of vision jarvis's story no but that, that was a clever sort
0: film. of uh you know melding of the two characters and yeah. it made that that part of it made sense anyway.
1: yeah i was fine with that
2: yeah i guess so <laughs> I, I i felt like thing- it wasn't quite a perfect fit but it works it's sort of like if R2D2 suddenly became, you know, somebody important other than R2D2. And I felt like Jarvis was already pretty special as Jarvis.
1: Yeah, and I think I think my only frustration is I wanted it to be more Jarvisy and not Vision. Like it's a new character that that kind of has Jarvis's voice a little bit. And I, I I like Jarvis enough as a character that I wouldn't have minded he become a, a thing that it, living that they can interact with. Robot butler or but, something. Yeah, I well, I don't know about that, but but they made it. <laughs> they made a new character that sounds a little bit like Jarvis. And that, that's yeah, a little frustrating. It, it, and his
0: personality, uh, such as it is, is clearly a lot different. But it amused me in the theater when they uh, some guy saw the little yellow stone they were using to sort of power him, and uh, the guy <laughs> sitting next to me got really excited all of a sudden, and he goes, oh, that's an infinity stone! <laughs> <laughs> and I heard... You have never seen a Marvel movie before, I guess, because those things are everywhere. <laughs> <laughs>
1: yeah. um. uh, well, we've, we've done a lot of ragging on this film, but I feel like as much as I enjoyed it, at least we ought to talk about some things that we, we did enjoy about it. Yeah.
2: Yeah. I feel like uh, going back to one of the great qualities of the film is Hawkeye. And uh, what's the what's the guy's name? Just the, the the guy. Not Hawkeye. But what's the guy's name again? Jeremy Renner. No, that's the oh, you're talking about name. Clint Martin. Thank you. Oh. Like nobody calls him Clint. Nobody calls him mm. Barton. At least ways exactly. when they do, it doesn't really stick. But uh, anything that they did with him in developing his character was, I think, very important for the audience this time around. Because, you know, a lot of people feel like you cannot relate to the bigger, more powerful superhero types one of the greater criticisms I've heard about superheroes over the years was how everyday audiences feel like uh, they can't really connect with them because they're too high and lofty and powerful and perfect. And I I don't get that feeling very often with the characters because I, I guess I'm, I'm just way up there with, you know, people that can fly and stuff but uh but then, on the flip side, we have Hawkeye, who is as it turns out, incredibly down to earth and very relatable to everybody in the audience in a very cool way. I think anyone over the age of twenty one can appreciate Hawkeye in a whole new way now, because before we just thought, this I don't doesn't know make anyone any over s- the age
0: of twenty one but
2: Okay. <laughs> <laughs> well, if, when we watched the first film, it felt like this doesn't make any sense. How can Hawkeye possibly keep up with the rest of these guys? Well, but
1: they, they hung a lantern on it this time, Joe. So it's okay. <sighs>
2: But you know, to have it something a little bit more relatable, realistic, uh, down to earth and uh, human, we have something introduced here with Hawkeye, which was sorely lacking in the first film. Not a bad thing that it was lacking in a superhero film. We don't always need to see a normal guy doing his normal thing and also trying to do something extraordinary, but getting it from Barton was brilliant. like they didn't have to put that into the film. It felt like in a way, it stands out. It could have fallen flat on its face, but it didn't.
1: yeah. and the interesting thing is, I feel like this is a little bit of a redirect. I, I think in the first film, it's a little unclear whether Romanoff and uh, Barton are romantically involved or not. I felt like it was a little unclear anyway. They were certainly really good friends. And this is a little bit of a redirect to say yes, they're they're just really good friends, but you know, Clint Barton has a family. And here it is. You've never seen him before, and Nick Fury helped him get it off the books, which which was a nice touch. And, and, and again, I think it was something that the character sorely needed and that was really good for the film, and I'm really glad because the studio didn't like it. And I'm really glad that Joss Whedon fought to keep it in here. So uh, Clark, do you have any thoughts on that?
0: Um, yeah, I thought the farm sequence was wonderful. Uh, I thought it was one of the film's best stretches, actually, because it was so sort of understated and quiet, and it just let the characters sort of relax and be themselves. And watching that stuff uh, really made me wish – and I know it will never happen because the budget for it doesn't exist, and these are all rich and famous people. But it made me wish that Joss Whedon had a TV show with these characters where there would be more time for that sort of thing to just see these people hanging out with each other, spending time talking about stuff. Um, right, right. Joss Whedon is so good at that sort of thing, and uh, the movie would have benefited
1: from from even more of it, I
0: think, but uh, I'm, I'm glad that he was able to keep that
1: sequence at least. Any of us who ever watched Buffy know that what you're saying is true, that that is what Joss Whedon is good at, <laughs> um, I, I, and, and I think ultimately this is why I think that even though I knew, and maybe this is why I like Agents of S.H.I.E.L.D., I knew that wasn't what Agents of S.H.I.E.L.D. was, but I hear so many people talking about Agents of S.H.I.E.L.D., and it, it's not what they wanted because what they wanted is exactly what you're describing. And right. th- th- it's just impossible. Like you can't get these actors to do a TV show for the budget that they have. It's just not going to happen. So, um, uh, but I, I do agree. Like much as I love these movies, I think it would be much better as a long arc TV show. Um, I, I, I have a, uh, it's funny. I have a movie bite podcast, right? I, I love movies. And yet I kind of love TV shows more because I really get into the arcs of, of the long, <laughs> you know, every week I tune in and, and there's another chapter in the story. And, uh, I really like that form of storytelling. So it, this this kind of feels like that sort of thing that you can't spend much time on in the movie, but Joss Whedon gave it as much as he could that you would get in a TV show. So, right, yeah, it, absolutely, it's it's a very good thing, and I'm really glad that it got in the movie, and I'm really glad the studio lost that fight. Because um, <laughs> Joss Whedon has been pretty vocal about how they wanted to take that out, and they held the gun. That was what they held the gun to. You know, when they said, "You put in our our cave scene with Thor, or else we're going to make you take out the the farm scene." So um, and
0: that, uh, that's just so bewildering to me. It's like yeah, we'll we'll gut the soul of your movie, uh, so we can have this crappy exposition scene here. Yeah, with yeah. Thor. It, it makes no sense at all. But uh, yeah, yeah. But yes, definitely,
1: definitely like that. Uh, really liked the the scene uh, where they're, uh, you know, they had the party after they had uh, gotten uh, uh, the the Hydra thing, and, and they had the st- the staff. And then they had the party, you know, right before Ultron shows up, and and there's some yeah. great character stuff that happens in there. You start to get a sense that oh, well, Natasha Romanoff has a thing with with you. Kind of got it with a little bit when when she it was able to bring Bruce out of being the Hulk. But then you really get that she, you know there there's something between those two there in, in these scenes and. A lot of good stuff. Um, I, I really, really enjoyed the witty – the witty way in which there was a callback to the actors that we just can't have because, goodness, we already have enough actors in this film with with Jane and uh, uh, Pepper. It was it – was, that was really witty writing from Joss Whedon, I thought.
0: Yeah, and hmm. that party sequence that you're talking about too has um, – it's one of the better areas for sort of uh, – Cameos from other Marvel players. It's a natural setting for that sort of thing to happen. Yes. And it's actually, uh, I love the uh War Machine uh, bit in that scene. That, that, that's a great gag.
1: Oh, uh, is, that, we, is that all? Oh, no, no. It's a good story. It's a good story. He's like, <laughs> and he has to tell it to somebody else and get the uh-huh. reaction. <laughs> yeah,
0: that, that's a great bit. But uh, uh yeah, and that sort of thing, you know, when it's just the characters hanging out, whether it's a tense situation or a relaxed one like that, um that's where, where Joss Whedon thrives. And um, You know, that's where the movie's at its strongest.
1: And this is also the sort of thing that Joss Whedon does really well is that the scene that felt like just a fun character moment wound up having implications later with Vision, but where they're all trying to pick up the hammer. Um, and, And at the time, you think, oh, this is just a great scene and you love it, and then it takes on new meaning later. That is where Joss Whedon excels in his writing. Right, um where you know, and, and it was a great scene, like they're all you know yacking it up and trying to to pick up the hammer and and I love the worried part where uh, you know, Captain America budges it and and Thor's like, oh, what's going on here?" you know uh, that, it was it was great stuff, and uh, I really enjoyed that 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 is where the heart and soul of this movie is, and mm-hmm. that's what I'm talking about when I say, I enjoyed this movie. I like the lot.
0: philosophical follow-up conversation, too, and they're talking about, well, what if an elevator carries your hammer? Is an elevator <laughs> worthy of ruling Asgard? <laughs>
1: well, that's one interpretation. <laughs> the other is you are all not worthy. Uh, yes. All right. What else have we got, guys?
2: You really touched upon one of my bigger likes of the film was the development between Bruce and Natasha. That, uh, th- that I didn't really understand was coming along with the first film. Mm-hmm. Uh, one thing though is that there's also sort of a frustration I have going on here concerning the Hulk. This enters my dislikes that, uh, Bruce Banner just, he's, he's the guy in, I guess, Whedon's films that can't be happy. Can, you know, yes. and that, that seems to be an ongoing concern about Bruce Banner in, in his movies. Like, um, everybody kind of criticized Sam Raimi's Spider-Man, uh, two film for this, that Peter Parker is just the guy who, you know, oh, come on, just give him a break. Let him have a good day, man. Let him have what he wants. And they, they won't cut him that slack. They won't give him that break. And I feel like Bruce, in some ways, is, uh, above and beyond, more mature than the other Avengers. Mm-hmm. It can, why well, is it that it's be. so? Why is it that it's so hard for him to just you know enjoy a simpler life? <laughs> why can't he? It's not like you know having a relationship with a, a woman, a long term relationship, even would uh, be be inclined to necessarily uh, bring the Hulk out of him necessarily. <laughs>
1: Yeah, I um yeah I hope that at some point in the future we get to see Bruce Banner make peace with the fact that he is the Hulk and he has Natasha there hopefully or or something or or the, and the team but m- mostly Natasha to to help you know guide him and direct him and, be an anchor know, be an anchor and so that he can be- make peace with being the Hulk and being an Avenger and being on the team that, that is a frustration like I. It echoes the frustration I was mentioning earlier. It's the same sort of frustration where I just want to see them work together to solve a problem that is not their own making. At some point, I'm not—I'm not to the point where I'm like, "Oh, I just can't stand this movie." Obviously, I loved it, but it's starting to feel like if we do this again, and that's why I'm kind of already like, I don't know about the Civil War thing, guys. um It's starting to get to the point where I'm ready for them to be heroes together and not to be causing the problems and cleaning up their mess. Does that make sense?
0: I thought it Mm -hmm. does. Um, uh, Going back to the Bruce-Natasha romance, um, I I liked it on paper, um, and I liked the way that uh, Mark Ruffalo and Scarlett Johansson played those scenes, but it didn't have the emotional impact I felt like it should have at the end. I felt like that that last scene between the two of them should have been one of the movie's sort of most touching and heartbreaking moments, and it was just kind of there.
1: Mm.
0: Uh, It didn't really stick the landing for me, but I do like a lot of the work that they do. In that subplot, and um, I, I thought Natasha had a really strong scene uh, earlier, and I won't go into the details of it, but when she sort of reveals uh, some very sort of painful personal details from her past,
1: mm-hmm. uh,
0: th- that was a really strong moment for her, and, the, and really beautifully played by
1: Scarlett Johansson. That's the stuff but, that Joss uh, Whedon is good at, for sure. Um, yeah. Yeah. In... <sighs> Yeah, yeah, I get what you're saying. That you know, honestly, that you're talking about the emotional bits. That and you're right; it kind of did fall flat where it shouldn't have. But the funny thing is, the one that I didn't expect, as far as an emotional bit that really worked, was uh, the the uh, the spoilery uh, death of um, of one of the, of the Avengers who had only recently become an Avenger, um, and and the impact that that had on uh, the, the Scarlet Witch. I'm talking who's course, bound
2: to come back to life.
1: Yeah, we'll see but um the, the, you know quicksilver's death and 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 hurry re- that was much more powerful and impacting than I had expected because we really didn't get a lot of development with those two i I didn't think not as much as I would have <laughs> wanted you know it this, this speaks to not not the fact that uh that it was bad filmmaking just but that it was overstuffed that we I wish that there was less characters in this film and we could have spent more time with the Maximov twins uh but we didn't yeah, interesting.
0: I, I, I'd I'd have to d- disagree with you on that one. That one didn't have an emotional impact on me either. I, I, I didn't really care about it because I didn't care about Quicksilver. In fact, I didn't like him that much. Mm. Uh, he was a a dour, dull character. Mm. And one of the frustrating things was uh, I'd I'm already seen Clark. Quicksilver done uh, so much better in X Men: Days of Future Past yeah, just a few months earlier.
1: Yeah, a uh, much
0: more interesting version of that I, character.
1: Honestly, you have to separate but, uh, them uh, yeah, from I, each other. You can't you can't equate the two. Th- and that's true.
0: That's true but as a character in this movie uh, I found him the least interesting of the major characters and when he died I was like oh well of course they killed him cuz nobody will care.
1: <laughs> yeah. Uh, that's true. <laughs> it's it's going to be
0: inevitably he's still going to get resurrected anyway.
1: You think so. so? You think he'll be resurrected? Probably. It was sure, it was not. a question in my mind whether he was actually dead. So, I don't know. He he I I wouldn't be surprised to see him come back but I kind of hope that they make him stay dead because somebody in this universe has to stay dead at some point. <laughs>
0: I think in a Marvel movie, you have to do things to a character that you cannot do within the confines of a PG-13 rating to ensure that they're actually dead. So uh, (laughs) I don't think it's ever going to happen.
2: And and, and for those reasons, he'll wind up in the TV show Agents of S.H.I.E.L.D.
1: (laughs) That's that's true. (laughs) It's probably true. (laughs) I wouldn't put it past the the show. Well, guys, do we have any...
0: I needed to give them the motivation to finish off Ultron. So. (laughs) (laughs)
1: <laughs> Guys, do we have any uh final things we need to talk about or are we ready to start wrapping it up?
2: I'm I'm satisfied. All good points.
1: Okay. Well, let, let's, uh, let's kind of wrap this up with our rating and our final analysis. And uh, for a change, I'll, I'll go first and, and say that uh, I rate this film four out of five stars. It just doesn't quite rise to the level of the first film, mm. which I believe I rated four and a half, if I remember correctly. Uh, but at the same time, it does have a lot of – brings me a lot of joy. The witty banter, the witty dialogue, a lot of the character moments, and, and even the overall arc of the story. And, and yes, even though I have some, some challenges with, with Ultron, he brings me joy, too. listening to some of his dialogue and and uh, watching him as a character i'm looking forward to watching this film a second time with a less critical eye and just enjoying it for what it is uh which i'm probably going to do soon i'll probably take my son to see it i haven't taken him to see it yet but he's into all things marvel so i will probably take him and maybe my my, he's eight and then maybe my six-year-old daughter as well we'll we'll see because she she's she's watched all the films up to this point (laughs) and so Mm -hmm. i'll probably make that happen uh sooner rather than later but I really enjoyed the film, and I would I would give it four out of five, and 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 wish that we could have seen the real Joss Whedon film that that was buried beneath the surface here. Clark, why don't you give us your analysis?
0: Yeah, uh, I'm going to say that I enjoyed the movie. I'd give it a rating of three and a half stars out of five. Um, while it is disappointing in. And- Comparison to what it could have been. I also think it's a more interesting movie than some of Marvel's other recent efforts, if only because it feels like during its best moments, it has considerably more personality and soul than some of the other stuff they've put out. On the other hand, when it's bad, it's pretty bad. Mm-hmm. <laughs> and uh, it's it's a messy movie but an interesting one, and um, I'd rather have that than a slick, polished, dull success. Yep. So, yeah, I'll, I'll take it. I liked it. All right, Joe?
2: Okay. <laughs> Well, I saw it with my whole big family and my parents, my siblings, my daughter, who is six years old. And I wasn't sure at the moment that we were going to see the movie if I wanted her to see it the first time around. But it turned out to be a great experience. Uh, She and everybody else really enjoyed themselves, enjoyed the movie. My mom, who's not really into action films or superhero stories or sci-fi, she admitted that uh, you know it it wasn't like uh, making her interested in the franchise or Marvel at all. Um, She has a rough idea. Idea of who Captain America is and people like that. But with characters like Thor, she's like, again, who is he? I guess he's got magical powers. And that's like all she can really you know, recall. <laughs> but even so, everybody enjoys the film. Like It's uh, it's ultimately a popcorn film. Um, it has the right ingredients to entertain you for the whole time. And one criticism we haven't said all this time is that it didn't feel like it was too long. It didn't feel like it was dragging. It didn't no, feel no, like at all. it lacked um, the entertainment value that we want for a long feature film. So uh, it kept the energy up and that's saying a lot for a film that's uh, you know, we have seen, uh, you know, like we like to criticize Spider-Man movies every day of the week because we saw too many of them back to back to back. And it felt like the reboots and everything were just, we weren't ready for them. And so we would have been happy if they could have been spread out more, a lot more, especially in the case of rebooting, um, because we, we'd we had our fill of Spider-Man, right? And so to drag us into another Spider-Man movie just feels like a drag before you get started. And I, I'm be, I have noticed that there's a lot of people that feel this way towards superhero movies as well, that no matter – how hyped up they are and how uh, much the anticipation builds. And some people will just love these films. There's a lot of people that are getting worn out on superhero films for the time being. And even so we're seeing a really incredible response from the viewers. So that being said, even with things going against the film, it's still a very solid Joss Whedon film. So, um, all of its, uh, problems. Remind me of the issues with Richard Donner's Superman 2 back in the day, his Mm. conflicts with production Mm. studio, and they they didn't want to let Richard have his movie, Yep. and I don't know ultimately if we would have preferred Richard's or not. I do
1: because we've seen the Richard Donner cut. It is a far better film.
2: Um, and, you know, it's hard for me to really weigh that, uh, honestly, because uh, by the time I saw Donner's Cut, I, I was uh, grown, uh, I was a full adult. And when I saw it, I, I wasn't like in the emotion of the moment to be able to appreciate his concepts as well as maybe you did. But I, I, I
1: just, mm. I, I don't here, know.
2: Clark. I kind of feel like this was history repeating itself. And thankfully, it didn't turn out sourly like Superman two did. Right. Well, uh, Richard Donner actually got better, completely fired given the circumstance.
1: Yeah. Richard Donner yeah, actually yeah, got completely this fired. This turned out good. Yeah. Yeah.
2: So this turned out good in spite of the difficulties.
1: Yeah. Were you, were you going to back me up, Clark? Or are you just going to leave me hanging?
0: Yeah. Yeah. No, I, I, I like the Richard Donner cut. It's, it's, you know, frustratingly, uh, messy in its existing form because right. they use all kinds of footage to yes. sort of piece it together. But, yes. but it, in theory, if that movie had been made and looked as good as it was supposed to, I'm fairly certain I would have liked it much better.
1: No, I, I know I would have. I, I like the Richard yeah. Donner cut better as it is. Anyway, sidetrack, but good one. Mm. Uh, all right, so <laughs> uh, with that, gentlemen, we're going to sign off. And uh, Clark, why don't you tell the fine people where they may follow your fine work, which you've actually written a review even of this movie already. So why don't you tell folks? Right I have, that?
0: yeah. Uh, they can find that over at my website, 365movieguide.com. I publish a review every single day
1: over there. It's pretty amazing, actually.
0: <laughs> well, I'm going to burn out one of these days, but I'm, <laughs> I'm doing my best. Uh, and then uh, you can follow me on Twitter at 365 movieguy. I also write for dvdverdict.com here and there and host a little podcast.
1: Yes. Yeah, it's a good one. All right, Joe.
2: Yeah, uh, I forgot to mention, I give it four stars. Uh, oh, right. Find yes. me at tectonic.fm, talking about technology, podcasting about technology. That's T E C H Tonic.fm. And my coffee show as well, which is TupBrew.fm.
1: All right. And you can find me on Twitter. I am TJ Draper Pro. Uh, that's, that's pretty much where you can find me. Uh, if you want to uh, get uh, show notes for this episode of the Movie Bite podcast, and you for some reason don't want to get them from your podcatcher of choice, which should have those in there already. If you want to get them on the web, you can go to moviebyte.com slash mbpodcast slash 136. That is where you'll find the show notes for this episode. And it is also a great link to share if you want to share this episode. So uh, that's it for us this week. We enjoyed the film. We enjoyed reviewing it. As always, we enjoy talking to you, and we're looking forward to whatever we review next week. We haven't even decided yet, but I'm sure it'll be good and a lot of fun. So tune in next week, and uh, we'll have another review for you. Uh, thanks, guys, for being here. Thank you. Uh, ta-ta. <laughs> I feel like there was so much to talk about in this film. There's no way we could have covered it all, and there's we could yeah, have yeah. kept going. But it's but, yeah, cut that's it off thing. At some I think point. we
2: actually did a remarkable job of avoiding the uh, spoilers. I think we did a really good hmm. job avoiding them. Maybe so.
0: Well, we talked about everybody who died. But
1: yeah, I was gonna say we we talked about a lot <laughs> of spoilers. we spoiled
0: every Marvel movie with that. But um, no, it, it's good. Yeah, I forgot to mention uh, one of my favorite running gags in the movie was. Uh, oh yes. The,
1: language yes yes, yes. It, it, was, well was, that's so what good. i
2: guess i mean i think a lot of people would come to a joss whedon film expecting the the great humor and we basically didn't spoil any of
1: it yeah he i mean joss whedon was definitely very present in this movie there's no doubt
0: yeah mm. it's, oh and i love the uh please be a secret door please be a secret door yeah that was pretty
1: good <laughs> that was good yes <laughs> Uh, yeah the, the the movie we didn't get to see from Joss Whedon, I will forever wish we could see. Maybe, maybe we'll get a Richard Donner cut of 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 the Age of Ultron someday.
0: <laughs> you know, uh, I'd be surprised if it happens. I'd really love to hear an audio commentary on this movie from him, but I, I have a suspicion it's not going to happen on this one.
1: No, I don't think we'll ever see him at a Marvel movie again, ever, because he's been way too vocal about his displeasure. I I don't think that there's ever going to be a mending of that fence. I th- I think he's, burned, yeah. I think he's burned the bridge, which is yeah. unfortunate. I, I'm, I'm, I'm not very good at it, but I'm always of the opinion. Uh, again, I'm not very good at it, but I'm of the opinion that you shouldn't burn bridges if you don't have to. And I feel like he's done some bridge burning in the last few days.
0: Yeah, on the plus side though, uh, he's he's just made back-to-back two of the most successful movies of all time, so he can do whatever he wants right yeah, now. Yeah, uh, it's it's a little so frustrating. He's got that going
1: for I, him. I think most people know that the problems of this film are not his problems and I think that'll that'll be and I think he'll be fine. And you're right, he's made so much money with them that I think he can do whatever he wants. And I hope we get to yeah. see more of whatever he wants. And and, and the first film felt like the studio was staying out of the way and letting him do what he wanted, but he was a little bit timid because he'd never done anything that big. You know, and this film feels right. the opposite. Like he knew what he wanted to do and the studio wouldn't let him.
0: Well, he <laughs> made the first film at a time when his career was struggling a little bit more. He needed a big hit.
1: Yes, that's and true. And he got one.
0: Yeah. And in fact, uh, part of the reason they hired him the first time, uh, John Favreau was interested in doing it, kind of, sort of, uh, even though he'd been frustrated with them over Iron Man 2. But he would have cost a fortune uh, because he had made two big hits in a row and they would have had to pay him many millions of dollars. Right. Joss Whedon, on the other hand, they could get for cheap and they were like, well, he's good and uh, he won't cost us a fortune, so we'll just get him. Yeah. But like, now they're going to do, you know, they're doing a the, uh, similar thing um, yeah, with the uh, Rousseau's, sort of getting them attached to everything.
1: Yeah, and I, I'm sure they've locked them in at a good price, is why they're getting them. But yeah. I'm not, com- I, I know you probably are because you don't care for the winter soldier i'm not completely unhappy with the russo's being attached but we'll see if it gets a little old at some point
0: i'm just concerned about them being given everything yes Um, i am too i am too civil war and two avengers movies it seems like a little much well if nothing uh, else they're gonna be
1: exhausted at the end of this run you know yeah
0: and you know maybe the thinking is there. Hey, they're doing all these movies. They're going to be so tired. They're going to be like, hey, you guys, can y'all just make some of these decisions for us and take care of a few things? And we'll be like, sure. Uh, <laughs> that'll, maybe that'll so. Yeah, I don't know. But uh, yeah they're they're looking they're looking for good soldiers at this point. They're not looking for uh, really distinctive directors anymore.
1: Yeah, obviously with the firing of uh, Edgar Wright, I think that's been made apparent. Yeah. So, that's it's yeah, Marvel's in a frustrating place right now. And and ultimately, on the one hand, it's hard to blame them because they're the studio that has to keep living with these films and this universe and they want their say. They want to they want to have their universe be cohesive, but at the same time, I feels like they're going about it in a very heavy-handed and frustrating way. <laughs>
0: Yeah, uh they they're content to play the villain as long as they're making the big bucks, I Yeah, think. well, I
1: mean, who can argue with them? I mean, look, Avengers just made, you know, the second highest grossing movie of all time, was it? So, yeah. Anyway, well, and, I mean, even <laughs> and if it was something like the other everybody film, right? everybody
0: criticized uh Iron Man 2 for basically being a commercial for the Avengers and it was uh, you know, kind of a messy movie for that, but in the end, it promoted the Avengers pretty well, and the Avengers made a fortune. <laughs> yeah. And so, yeah. you know, it's hard to argue with that uh, from a business standpoint. But yep, it's it's awfully frustrating as a movie fan.
1: Yep. Well, hey guys, I uh, yeah. I loved the, talking about the film, but I do need to get the show edited, and uh, particularly I have some editing to do with all that mess that we had in the middle there. So uh, I'm going to let you guys go.
2: All right. Good night.